three, two, one. We're back. It's you. It's me. Cam and Jake back on the mics. True Critic Podcast. It's back. Let's go. How are you feeling, Cam? I feel great. I, I can't describe the feeling I have sitting here. Feel right at home. I mean, it's been, what, I think 16 or 17 months since our last show. Uh, yeah. Just a little wait. Nothing nothing crazy. Anticipation. But, you know, we, we're just keeping the fans on their toes. That's all it is. Yep. Now, before we get going, it's important to shout out the two other podcasts done by Teddy Hirschfield, who is our wonderful producer for this show. Uh, Did I Stutter and uh, Talking with Ted are two podcasts also that can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Both are great shows. Did I Stutter talks about uh, The Office and all of its uh, in all of its glory, really, all the great moments, all the hilarious scenes, and it's definitely worth checking out. And uh, Talking with Ted is, uh, it's all right. That's all I'll say well, it's just it. that. It's Talking with Ted. <laughs> yeah, it's Talking with Ted. He's got a great... New diverse guest, I think is the way he likes to put it. Every every single time he's got a new show, so it's always full of great conversation and it's really insightful. Teddy's a great host, and it's uh, you always find yourself getting way more locked in on the episodes than you expect when you start listening to talking with Ted. So definitely check out both of those. But for the True Critic Podcast, season two, episode one, today we're here to talk about a quiet place two and the quote unquote return of movie theaters. Now. Let's talk a little bit about the financials of A Quiet Place 2. So, obviously, you know, the pandemic has hit and movie theaters have been struggling hard. Yeah. A lot of movies are going straight to streaming services. A Quiet Place 2 is actually going to be in theaters for 45 days, theaters only, which is about half the time for a movie of this stature, like a blockbuster film. And then it's going exclusively to Paramount Plus, which I don't know how you feel about that, but... Paramount Plus is on the bottom. To- it's it's at the bottom of the totem pole I've for streaming services it, so. that I'm interested. In. Yeah, me either. Yeah. I've never used it, and I don't plan on buying it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so Thursday night, the Thursday night premiere of this movie. So the night before the Friday it's released, A Quiet Place Two made four point eight million dollars, which yeah. is very good because yeah. the first one pre-pandemic made four point three on its Thursday night. Wow. So in the midst of a pandemic, there's a five hundred thousand dollar increase on the Thursday night, which like. Even if there wasn't a pandemic, that's still a pretty solid, like I'll take almost $5 million on Thursday night if I'm a quiet place in this situation. And then over the weekend, so from Thursday to Sunday, it made $47.5 million. And then if you include Memorial Day after that, it made $58 million over the course of five days, which is yeah, it's pretty great. That's the highest grossing, mo- or highest grossing opening weekend for 2021 so far, which is definitely worth noting. And the first movie in its, we- in its opening weekend grossed 50.2 pre-pandemic so if you include memorial day for a quiet place part two grossed eight million dollars more than the first one so like yeah i mean that's that's like that's a really really good sign for movie theaters yeah regardless of anything going I, on outside exactly yeah. like i mean you you see like instant increase like you you're getting the return on investment you have if you're paramount in this situation so i mean it's it's looking good like do you feel like there's there's like a do you feel like there's a energy that theaters are back yeah, it definitely makes me more excited, especially going into the summer months. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these, well, some of the bigger directors and bigger production companies are going to feel confident enough to, because there's a lot of movies on the shelf right now. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if we get this energy rolling, they might feel confident enough to start to release these movies. Yeah. Can you see movies like uh, like Fast and Furious 9, for example, comes out mm-hmm. in a few weeks, and it's the same thing where... It's going to be exclusively in theaters for a while. Do you can you see it having similar success to Quiet Place Two? Uh, I do. Um, I also think that you could potentially see this as like a new normal thing for movies. Yeah. To restrict access outside of theaters as an mm-hmm. attempt to get people to 
go to the movie theaters to see I, his yeah. movies. I think, honestly, I feel like that's the smartest way to do it going forward. Because, honestly, leaving a movie in theaters for 90 days, which was the norm pre-pandemic, I mean, those last 45 days, obviously, there's a significantly less amount of money coming in than those mm-hmm. first 45 days. So, I mean, why not take it to a streaming service? And then in those first 45 days, for those people that really want to see in theaters, there's more pressure to get out and go, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, exactly And you can cycle the movies faster in the theaters. Exactly. I know. And then you can release more blockbusters, and, I mean, production companies just can just crank them out movie after movie. Mm-hmm. So this brings me into my next question with movies being, quote-unquote, back. How important is the movie theater experience to you? Well, um, to be honest, it's pretty much everything because – over the last year or so, I the amount of movies in general I've new movies in general I've watched has has well, decreased is, yeah. by a lot. Mm-hmm, same. Like there were there were months where I probably went without even seeing a new movie, and mm-hmm. that's like unheard of for me. Right. Like yeah. I would be seeing a new movie almost every week. Yeah. Because I know I, you and I both are AMC A list members. Yes, I so, still am. By the way. Yeah. Same. Yep. I I had to, I had to hold on to it. I had to hold out. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, twenty nineteen. I, I think I saw, I think I think it was right around seventy movies. I saw a lot, yeah. Year. And it was just because you know you get three three free ones a week with AMC A list. So I was like, even movies that I had minimal interest in, I was kind of like, I mean, I'm already paying Give for it, it might as well go. And honestly, like some movies that I I had minimal interest in, I ended up really liking. And I mean, I pre- I definitely if I wasn't going to see them in theaters, I definitely wasn't going to watch them on a streaming service yeah. because. I, I agree with you that the movie theater experience is, it's it's unparalleled. I mean, in it in it varies movie to movie. If you're seeing a big temple action movie like Avengers Endgame, for example, like which you and I saw opening mm-hmm. night together back in 2019, like it, the movie theater that you and I saw, it was it was electric. Yeah, like there, like you could feel the energy. In Everyone the air. was excited. Like, everybody was on the edge of their seat for three straight hours. Mm-hmm. Like people were cheering and clapping. And it's like, that's something you don't get if you're sitting on your couch watching that movie. Yeah, and I do think that people still want to go to the theaters. Like, mm-hmm. there, there are people who have, like, suggested that maybe theaters are, like, out of interest of the general public. And I, I strongly disagree. I yeah, think there's I, I, still an urge for people mm-hmm. to go and look at that big screen and escape the world for a couple hours. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like, yeah, and it goes beyond those action movies, like. I mean, some of my favorite, like Prisoners, for example, one of my favorite movies, like seeing that in a theater and, and like just getting, like you feel how dreary and just like bleak that movie is. It forces is, you. Right, it, it engulfs you. It's just like, it, because you're forced, it's just you in a 50 foot long screen right yeah. in front of you. It's, you have no other option to but just like be locked on that movie. And mm-hmm. it, it, there's an experience, there's no other experience like it, honestly. And I mean- I love that before A Quiet Place too. how there's that little message from John Krasinski before yeah. the movie starts where he's just like thanking people for coming to the theaters. Cause I mean, I mean, especially with, I mean, how America is uh, post or like still in this pandemic. I think that was like such a great idea to just, and it's super brief. It's just like, Hey, thanks for coming. Yeah. You don't know what this means to me. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, you got to think like that's how he makes a living too. I mean, countless I mean, others too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I don't know if you know this, but so like I said, the movie's going to Paramount Plus in 45 days. Uh-huh. Paramount Plus isn't giving John Krasinski or Emma, Emily Blunt any money for that. Really? Like, um, I'm trying to think of like, it's like HBO Max. You know how like movies are going to HBO Max and uh-huh. theaters at the same time? Um, which, by the way, I watched Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max. Wrong decision. I, I should, watched I, it in the theater. I should have watched it in yeah. the theater. I feel like I would have liked it a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so like the movies, they, they get the money they make from the theaters, but then they'll also get like the directors and like the top build cast, for example, mm-hmm. they'll get like a, 
they'll get some money from the streaming service. But Paramount Plus is just like, especially because this movie was supposed to come out in the end of March of 2020. Yeah. So this movie's been on the shelf for over a year. Yeah. And so now Paramount Plus is just like, yeah, we're just going to put it out there. You don't really get anything. Okay. So it's like, that's what, and so they're so reliant on this first 45 days. So that's why if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go see it. Cause it's, it's great. First of all, it's yeah. a really well done movie. Well, that makes more sense of why mm-hmm. he's thanking people. Or is he, I know. Yeah. yeah. And then, but like in a quiet place too, I mean, I feel like it's a movie you have to see in the theater yeah. to get the full experience. I agree. But, which is how it is with so many other movies. But yeah. So let's, uh, let's get more into a quiet place too. What was, uh, what was your level of anticipation for this movie? Well, back in 2020, I was pretty excited for Same. it. Mm-hmm. And I was definitely disappointed when it got shelved. Um, but when it it's all, when it came back around this year, I was almost more excited because it felt like, okay, this is for the first time in a long time. This is a movie that I've known is coming out. It's not just some random movie I decided to go see on the weekend. Like I knew this movie was coming out and I'm going to be able to go see it and it just made me that much more excited to get back into the movie flow and going to see all these movies that I want to see. Yeah, I I think this is the first time in a long time that I feel like it's an event. Yeah, I feel like there's a, I feel like there's there's a different energy when I went to go see this on. I t- I saw it the Friday that it came out and there was, I f- I just remember sitting down in the seat like, feeling this is a big movie. This mm-hmm. is an expensive movie. This is like attempting to grow something into a franchise like. This movie really has to land even more than the first one did because the first one was so loved by audiences, but then it, it made a lot of money. So now it's like if they really want to make their money, this movie's got to be good. So like there's a pressure on the filmmakers and the production company, but then like I you just you know you're gonna get something that's gonna be big, loud, large, something you've got to see on the big screen. Yeah. So it, it felt like an event, and I was really really excited for this movie. Mm-hmm. All right, so going off of your level of anticipation for this. For me, A Quiet Place, the first one from 2018, is, uh, I would say, in my top three horror movies from the 2010s, I would say it's like it's third in my top three favorite movies So, from, from 2010. So I would like to talk about for a sec, Kay. maybe a little bit first about how you feel about the horror genre, and then, because I think this past decade, like 2010 to where we are now, I think there's been some really, really innovative horror movies. I agree. Like once in like the mid-2000s, late 2000s, like those... Uh, like they call it like torture porn, like saw and stuff kind of, it faded out of style mm-hmm. and you got basically this influx. You got your conjuring type movies and insidious where it's a, ha- it's a haunted house type movie. But then you get like production companies like a 24 and like, um, like Blumhouse that will, mm-hmm. and Blumhouse is very hit or miss for me, but like you get, you get a lot of just um, filmmakers just like exploring ideas because like scary. A lot of new filmmakers. Right. Exploring e- ideas exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, well, it's a, I mean, I was looking at my list, and I was like, I mean, all three of the filmmakers on my one, two, and three for this list are like now very prominent names in the horror thriller genre. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, it's a, it's an excellent gateway into the into being a director, especially mm-hmm. with Blum something like Blumhouse, because uh, a lot of those movies are pretty low budget. Exactly. And, but there's a pr- very big horror fan base, so mm-hmm. those movies have potential for huge payouts. Exactly. Which can help establish your name right yeah it's like i was saying scary is such a broad term yeah like i mean different things can work for different audiences and i love that horror i mean well i wouldn't i wouldn't consider it my favorite genre it definitely feels the most experimental of all your mainstream genres definitely i think there's so many different directions you can take a simple horror movie so like i said a quiet place the first one is i'd say my third favorite horror movie from the past decade 
Okay. And I was talking with uh, Teddy, our producer, about it, and he he's not the biggest fan of this movie. And I've a lot of people our age, you know, from their age range of like eighteen to like twenty two, twenty four, that I know are really not big fans of this movie, which is surprising to me. But I can also see why, because you know, a lot of people look at it as if it's a silent film. Yeah. And so, I think that part of it is really distracting to people. They they're easily distracted when they watch it because it's they're kind of just have this mentality of like oh my god say something yeah and it's also kind of stuck in between because it's like on one hand it's not an alien movie that's like a big blockbuster mm-hmm. movie and it's also not like a conjuring horror type movie so it's, mm-hmm. it does have that like kind of right. in between i agree which could puts people off yeah and i a quiet place and all three movies on my list here it's like there's so much more than horror with yeah. with these three movies a Quiet Place, maybe not so much as the other as the other ones on my list, but it's it's about what's beneath the surface. Because as I, I've told you this before, but I think A Quiet Place is really a movie about parenthood. It's just set in this apocalyptic universe. Yeah, and you could definitely see that on the screen. Yeah, exactly. You with see the characters mm-hmm. like it's it's Emily Blunt and John Krasinski's movie. Like they are mm-hmm. the core of this movie. The kids in the movie, I think, are unbelievable. Yeah, and but like it's it's their movie, it's their struggle. It's like you see what they go through, and it's like so. It's a very human and relatable story in this unbelievable world. Yeah, but um, yeah, I and I think so. Another thing that Teddy and I talked about when uh when he was telling me some issues he had with it, I I think there's some like noticeable holes in the movie, but uh, I think Krasinski as like a director, he has such he has such a knack for making scenes. His, he, I think he is one of the best directors we have right now of just scenes of tension. Yes. Like, oh yeah. In horror movies, to the only scenes of tensions you get when it's it was when it's a jump scare, just because it's loud, just mm-hmm. because it's like a sound, and you're like, whoa, like, geez, like, you just went from you, you went from guard. zero to ten, yeah. and you're like, it's like chill. Yeah. But Krasinski, he knows how to build, and he makes the climaxes of these scenes so worthwhile. So while Teddy was pointing out to um, to me like instances in the film that I hadn't really looked at from the perspective he was talking about. I was like, I mean, that makes sense. But I just remember when I watched that scene, I was just so unbelievably engrossed in what Krasinski was doing and how he was making me so sucked into the movie, how he uses color in that movie, how he uses like reds, how he uses like the light from outside and just how he keeps it so contained in this one farm setting for the whole movie. Yet so interesting, at least for me, I think a quiet place is, I think it's incredibly effective. I think it's also incredibly rewatchable, especially because it's only 90 minutes, and it's yeah. one that I revisit. I've, I mean, I've seen it, I think, four or five times now and since it came out in 2018, so it's something I watch at least once a year. Yeah. So, yeah. So, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is uh, Ex Machina. Mm, so, interesting. it's like all, it's not like one genre. Again, it's kind of like a blend, but yeah. You get the sci-fi elements because it's a, like a artificial intelligence uh, horror uh, elements to it because it's kind of dealing with the idea that if you create something so complex and so smart, it could destroy you. Yeah. And then it's, it's a thriller, but it's definitely like a, more of like a, like a mental battle. It's not like big gunfight, like action sequences. It's three characters. One of them's a robot in this house way out in the middle of nowhere. And they just interact with each other. Yeah. I, X Machina does a really good poll. I think a yeah a lot of people when they at least the people that know this movie wouldn't instantly think horror movie when they think of this but I agree that it's it's and again I think it comes back because it that whole movie it feels a lot like uh it feels a lot like Jaws to me where yeah, it's like it's, it's a, something yeah. lurking beneath the surface the whole time 
but it's almost like they took Jaws, they took the shark in that movie and made it like a lead character in Alicia Vikander's yeah. artificial intelligence character. So like you give your you take your shark from Jaws and then you just constantly put them in rooms with your main character and like you allow them to converse, but just you can't you just can't tell when they're gonna snap. For yeah, like and what's off about the it. mysterious setup of that movie kind of adds to that horror sense because mm-hmm. this guy just kind of he like almost like wins this ticket to go to this rich yeah. guy's house in the middle of nowhere, and so he doesn't really know what he's getting himself into. And so when he finally meets this guy, everything seems normal. He seems like a nice guy, but he quickly starts like to realize like I'm in a I'm in like a situation here. Like, I know this could go bad mm-hmm. for me. And yeah, I think another thing. I mean, Ex Machina is very similar to a Quiet Place in this way. That movie is very contained. Yeah. It takes place in that that billionaire's house the entire time. Yeah. Which is, and his house is so ominous. Yes. It's like. The lighting it's in so, it too. Yeah, it's so secluded. It's deep in the wilderness. It's not close to anything else, but it's so modern and elegant, mm-hmm. which like almost as an audience member gives you like a sense of comfort. Because yeah. like you feel like just the look of this house, this house and you can see like the wealth, the money that went into it. It gives you the sense of like, oh, this guy's a lot of money. It's like. Gives you a sense of comfort almost, but the slowly the whole movie just like rips that away. Mm-hmm. That comfort. That's a really good pick. Yeah, that's an underrated. That movie, is my I number think. three. My uh, my number two. I I did a two for one. I double dipped, but uh, I did Get Out and Us because okay. um, well, I think the more popular pick in society for the better movie is Get Out, which I love. Mm-hmm. I think I still find Us more effective because I think Us utilizes the tension that I talked about which is so crucial to me in horror, a bit better than Get Out. I think Us is more like a consistent, like Us feels like a roller coaster when you watch it. Yeah. Once the doppelgangers show up early in the movie, from then to to the cut to black, it is like you're strapped in and you are just like, you're on Jordan Peele's roller coaster. Yeah. Like he takes you where you're not expecting. And it's another movie where it's all about what's like beneath the surface. It's, it's all about facing yourself, facing the worst version of yourself, confronting your flaws, confronting your what your strengths are. And it's all about this internal battle, but then it can also, there's a societal aspect to it that you could look into. There's a lot of ways to take that movie, which I admire quite a bit. Yeah. And so that's why it's a big one for me. And um, Get Out, I think, is, um, I mean, it's it's been, it's overstated throughout society, the um, the like racial implications of that movie and the, uh, the subtext of that movie, which is so smart. And Jordan Peele is so good at what he does. But, I mean, and it's just, it's it's a really rewatchable movie. I think it's probably the funniest movie I have on my list, too, because I think Jordan he, Jordan Peele yeah. lets his, I mean, uh, he's he's been on Comedy Central, Mad TV for so yeah. many years, and I think he he mixes his his uh, his sense of humor with horror very well. I agree. And Us I, was pretty funny as yeah. well. So I, I think Jordan Peele is uh, one of the, if not the most prominent voice voices in horror movie horror movies today. So yeah, and I I, agree. For, I mean both of those movies hold a very special place in my heart. So I just decided to include both of them at number two. And again, they're movies like A Quiet Place that I revisit all the time. So yeah. So but uh, to, with the uh, the goal get out us. Uh, so I agree. I think us is like much more entertaining and mm-hmm. uh and with Get Out, I also really like Get Out. Don't get me wrong, but that movie definitely has like it kind of like there's a lot of in the middle. I'm not, it doesn't slow down, but it catches its breath more than Us does. I can see that. And sure. so I just feel like Us feels like more of the typical horror movie, like, in terms of pacing. Because once it starts, it starts until it until it yeah. stops. But where it get out, it kind of, like, slowly 
almost like Ex Machina kind of slowly peels back the surface yeah, and sure. you start to see the underneath and that's where the real horror comes in. Yeah. That first watch of Get Out is, I think the first time I saw Get Out, even though it's labeled like a horror thriller, yeah. I, think it, I think it was more a mystery than anything yeah. else because you're just trying to decipher what's going on. And the th- uh, Get Out and us, I'm sure as like you know and as the listeners probably know, like they encourage rewatches. Yes. Because they have these big reveals at the end that there's there's a breadcrumb trail that leads up to them throughout the movie. But then when you rewatch them, you get to pick up on them. And I think I find the rewatch of Us much more rewarding than the rewatch of Get Out. Because okay. I feel like Get Out, I feel Get Out honestly is less subtle than Us, which I don't know if that's a hot take. I think I would agree with that. Yeah, because, I mean, like when I saw Get Out for the first time, like I, I, I wasn't able to pinpoint, oh, they're they're performing brain surgeries and it's a, it's a whole body swapping yeah. thing, kinda, that sort of deal. But um, like I, it's not as subtle in the hints that it like leans towards that. Like there's a whole scene where there's a, it's like I, I'm drawing a blank on the word. It's just like a big party where there's all these people come in, they're dressed in black. There's like an auction. Yeah. For like for for Chris, the main character in the movie. Yeah. And so and by that point, you're kind of just like. Okay. Yeah, you start to yeah, you start to pick up on it, yeah. With us, I think it's like you you get you get the hints towards the twist to that movie, which is like the main character Lupita Nyong'o and her doppelganger are actually like reverse roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like the hints that they left for that were far more subtle, and and because I feel like that movie's more of an ensemble, like Lupita Nyong'o steals the show with her performance. Yeah. But in terms of like screen time and uh, the way the story is uh, organized, it's 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 about the family as a whole. Yeah. So you're asking questions, I think, about the whole family. Honestly, at least I was, especially with like the son in that movie. So all of the focus isn't on Lupita, I think, or, and I think it's more just on the whole situation. And then you're also trying to because Get Out was so sophisticated in the messages it's, it was delivering. Get Out is, or I mean, Us is more. It's more of a thrill ride, you said. It's more surface-level entertainment, quote-unquote. But at the same time, like, you know there's something beneath the surface. So at the same time, you're trying to look. You're you're looking for that. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like there's a lot more to focus on when you're watching us. Yeah. And I think, so then, when you know how the story plays out, that rewatch, when you know exactly what you're looking for now, it's it's much more rewarding. Whereas in Get Out, that rewatch is just kind of reaffirming things you already suspected on your first watch. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. I I think we that, those movies are fantastic. <laughs> and if you haven't seen them, see them. Definitely. All right, your number 2. What do we got? Okay, so for my number 2, I have Annihilation. Ooh. So that one with Natalie Portman in it. That's the same uh, guy who made Ex Machina. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um again, it's it well, it's it's definitely more like action-esque than Ex Machina. It's not as a, much of a slow burn. But again, it's playing with the genre because it's kind of blending sci-fi with horror and thriller in a, in a similar way. But uh, essentially, there's like like mutated animals, and they got to go out and there's like exploration, mm-hmm. and uh, they're trying to find her husband, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Natalie Portman is and um, her. yeah, something and like that. The <laughs> end. The ending is something in of itself. But uh-huh. uh, but uh, I just I just love the way that that movie kind of blends the genres together and it was just it was something i had never seen before yeah the filmmaker of those movies alex garland is yeah he's really talented and he right he keeps the audience on their toes by subverting expectations so frequently because at one point you're like 
you know, this is just a drama. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, this is really sci-fi. And this is really exploring some heavy themes in that genre. And then next thing, it's like that bear sequence mm-hmm. in that movie. It's like, that's straight up terrifying. Mm-hmm. So it's like, and it's just this constant back and forth of, and it keeps you on the edge of your seat, but it's never, it's never like pretentious. It's never like, oh, look what I can do by yeah. switching genres. It ro- it works really well with the story. And I think part of that is on Natalie Portman because I think she's really good in that movie. She is. And I think the whole supporting cast is really good. And I think you know, just the tone of that movie overall, like that's another one of those movies when you see it in the theater, you get this like sickness, uneasy feeling when you're yeah. watching it because you, because you have no idea what's going on, but it's just, it's something lurking beneath the surface that you know is just not. Right. And, and then, uh, Similar to us and Get Out, it has kind of like that breadcrumb trail reward type of layout mm-hmm. to it, right? Yeah, it, and it, there's a certain level of ambiguity, but it just it raises questions yeah. and it encourages rewatches. Yeah. Okay, my number one is uh, Hereditary, which uh, I think I've gone on the record saying I think this is just my favorite horror movie. Period. Excellent movie. Yeah, I I can't say enough positive things about this movie. And again, it's it's another one of those movies that's it's more than just a horror movie. It's yeah. a movie about grief. It's a movie about family. It's a movie about your life completely changing in a matter of days. It's I mean, it's a it's it's about loss and not just in the sense of grief. It's like a loss of innocence. It's a loss of hope. And it's how that can like and it's metaphorical because you're then you're dealing with battles with your inner demons mm-hmm. and like situations with these that these characters go through. But then there's also the implicate or the um the implementation of literal demons into the movie mm. so yeah. it's this it's this metaphorical roller coaster of a movie that it's it is a slow burn which i think turns a lot of people off from it but to yeah. be fair i don't know anybody that doesn't at least like at least like this movie yeah and i think uh that when it so when it does implement its uh its moments of horror or traditional horror the scares it's it's incredibly effective and it feels so earned whereas like in movies that didn't make my list, like The Conjuring or Insidious, where it's just like, boom, jump scare. And yeah. it's like, all right, and next scene. Mm-hmm. In this movie, it's like, the jump scares, while they're infrequent, they feel so earned because it feels like this character has been through everything and now to experience this, how does this help them grow? How does this break them down as a character? How does it build them up? And then for it all to build to this climax, and you see how the... um basically the the spirits or the demons that are implemented in this movie mm-hmm. you see how how differently they affect the mother how differently they affect the father and the son all three of them have a very different experience and it's it's all back to the grieving process yeah cuz i mean they they're all experience they're all living in the same world and they all have experienced the same thing they all lost somebody extremely close to them and they're all dealing with it in three different ways and it's like that's a horror on its own just mm-hmm. like how do you how do you cope with something when it's so unexpected? Yeah, and I think it's I think it's it explores some things that are honestly really important and stuff that I've never seen explored in horror before. And for that reason, I think it's just so so impactful and it's it's a must it's a must see if, if you haven't seen it. And it's I have I have to watch this movie at least once a year. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think a lot of that comes down to the like you were talking about the focus on the characters mm-hmm. is a lot more prominent than typical horror movies. Where, because a movie like The Conjuring or you know those that kind of typical sense, it's a lot about the the demons or the paranormal. It's that focuses mm-hmm. a little bit more. But this one's is like more focused on the characters and how they deal with that, as opposed right. to like how they react to that. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. All right, what's your number one? 
my number one is probably not a movie not a lot of people have seen, but it's The Lighthouse. Oh, good pick. I you know what? I thought about this and then I do I knew you love this movie, so I was yeah. I was thinking you were gonna put this on your Yeah. So like again, it's not like it's not a typical horror movie. Not at all. No. Um but it's it's really like it's in one location similar to Ex Machina, oh, like yeah. a quiet place. And uh I think this movie just has a like I, this movie accomplishes this like a sense of atmosphere that I've like never experienced before. Yeah. Because I really just great way to I spread. felt like a I don't know. I I was like, I was exposed to a world that I've never even like thought about. Uh, Like the idea of not only is this taking place in the past, like was 1800s. Yeah. I think it's late 1800s. Yeah. But like people used to go work these lighthouses offshore and they just had each other. There was no other form of communication other than a boat that comes. It's a very, what happens if that boat doesn't come? Like, and so I've never thought about that before. And so it opened my eye to like, that different sense of horror. I know it's very claustrophobic movie. Yeah, and not like, uh, not like, um, like a Ryan Reynolds movie where he's like buried, buried in a yeah. coffin. It's not like that where it's yeah. just like you can, but it's it's the implication of claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that you can like feel these cl- these characters, the only two characters in the movie, Robert Pants and Willem Dafoe. You can feel them like getting closer to each other, like despite how I mean they hate each other. Honestly, mm-hmm. you can feel them like being forced to physically get closer to each other and that they can't move away from each other yeah. and just how that drives both of them insane and how that creates this own hell for both of them. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a really, really engaging movie. I, I agree. I've never seen anything like it. Yeah. It, I got all, I think all the movies pretty much we've talked about, they, 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 they like mesh together different genres and they mm-hmm. explore different ways of like, it, there's, there's not just this sense that a horror movie has to like, be jump scares and like has to be paranormal like there's this new wave of horror that like it almost like goes into like the human mind 100%. Dude, and the, it explores the best, the best horror movies are the most human ones yeah and I, I think that's i think that's something i'll stand by because like i i get enjoyment out of a conjuring or the or insidious yeah but it's like i'm not drawn back to those movies nearly as often as i am to quiet place get out us ex machina mm-hmm. lighthouse yep. and annihilation just because of like how much they make me think how much they offer a new perspective on horror how much they show me things i've never seen in another horror movie mm-hmm. it, it's stuff like that that is that's how you grow the genre that's, that's how you do it yeah and it's not necessarily that like i've experienced something like insidious before oh, but yeah, like yeah. that's a pretty typical like I don't know the whole ha- idea of haunting and like mm-hmm. ghosts. And that's a pretty well explored area of cinema. Yeah. But the idea of oh, let's put these two characters off in this location, or let's put this family in this farm mm-hmm. and just see how they work out with each other and how it affects themselves. Like yeah. that. That's starting yeah. to generate this new wave of horror. Yeah. Like let's take let's take one of the worst things people can go through, which is grief. Mm-hmm. Or like depression and make it even scarier. Let's make a whole movie. Not that's, dedicated to that, but like, make it a big part. I mean, because that's, even though I don't think Midsummer is nearly as strong as Hereditary, mm-hmm. I do think Ari Aster is one of the most like prolific voices, not just in horror, but like in cinema today. Yeah, and I can't wait to see his, nec- his next project. But it's, it's like, how do you take what's already scary in real life and make it even scarier? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's not by throwing something at you very loud. It's by making you think. And it's by offering characters that are relatable and not in the sense that like 
oh, I've experienced grief in the same way she had. Like, I lost my daughter. I lost my sister, too. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, in a lot of the situations that they're in, honestly, like, you're like, shit, that's probably how I'd be reacting, too. Yeah. And, like, whereas in, like, Conjuring and Insidious, it's just, like, they just have, like, no choice but to scream. Yeah. And, like, that's not to say that I don't like those movies, because I think James Wan's really good at what he does, and I think he's yeah. really good at, like, we talk about Lighthouse is just creating an atmosphere, because mm-hmm. uh, I think Insidious and The Conjuring both, uh, like, they, uh, especially The Conjuring, because it's, like, set in the 70s, and I think it captures its time frame, and it sets a, it's a, got a great tone, and it knows, mm-hmm. it knows what it is. Yeah. And I don't think it's trying to break any barriers, but it's just really good at what it does. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, because there's some movies that try to break these barriers and try to be something completely new, and they just don't work. Yeah. So, I mean, the movies we've picked are the ones that do work, and I think you should seek them out, and I think they, the people listening, I think you should seek them out, and I think you should try to try to just, like, branch off and branch away from, like, Conjuring Insidious. And, like, go go see those movies, too, when you want to, but... I mean, there's there's a lot of new and interesting ideas out there that are being explore, explored in horror today, and I th- I just I just really like where the genre has been going over the past ten years. Yeah, I'm very excited to see upcoming horror movies. Yeah, I, I think that especially by some of these directors. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just going to continue to grow, and we'll probably get a lot of new voices yep. over the next ten years. So, like we were talking about with the whole Blumhouse deal, a lot of exactly horror yeah. is a lot of, is a good start for a lot of directors. It really is because like John Krasinski has gone on record and saying like. I like the last type of movie I thought I would be directing was horror, mm-hmm. but like he got so drawn to this project not because it's a horror thriller monster movie, it's because of the family story he tells mm-hmm. within it. Yeah. Sorry. Let's yeah. Let's stay on a quiet place. Part two. What did What did you think of this movie? What were your general thoughts on the film? Um. So I thought it was, and I thought it was really good. Uh. I thought it was. So it just picks up right where the first one like leaves off, and mm-hmm. there was I I, did, I didn't really. Sometimes with sequels, I get the sense like, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that. I never got that sense in this movie. I feel like every decision he made to go from the first one in this movie, I thought was very, all of them were really well thought out. I could tell he had a plan to do this, and mm-hmm. it didn't just seem like, oh, this was successful. Let me just throw together another one. He could definitely, he could tell it was like it's one big story. And uh, yeah, when I when this when the movie ended, which it ends pretty abruptly, yeah. not like. Like, you're like, wow, it shouldn't have ended. Like the first one. Yeah. And so when it ended, I was just like, like, Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I was, I was stressed that entire time. Yeah, I know. I felt that too, where it was like, when it cuts to black, it's like a breath of fresh air. But at the same time, you're like, I mean, I could do another 90 minutes of this right now if you were, if you were going to give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, a quiet place, it was electric. It was, it was, it was great. I, I mean, I had high expectations going in and when I saw it, I, I, I mean, it definitely lived up to it lived up to my expectations and I think yeah I mean now we can get into like the good of the movie and I think um the best the best thing about this movie I think is um is that A Quiet Place 2 didn't need to happen yeah okay? no when the first one ended yes it was ambiguous and left it yes it left um opportunity for the mm-hmm. world to be explored but like I think the ending of A Quiet Place 1 is like it's it's contained and it works really well yeah so A Quiet Place 2, when it was announced, you know, it was like, well, the first one was so successful, we feel like we have to make a second. John Krasinski didn't want to do it originally, but then he was kind of sucked into it. He was like, I feel like I have to now because, mm-hmm. like, I'm just so attached to it. So a big issue going into this movie was, like, can you make A Quiet Place 2 feel like it needed to happen? Yeah. And so with a lot of sequels today, the mindset is uh, bigger is better. Mm-hmm. And I think John Krasinski just, like, totally just like throws that away and yeah. it's like no I'm not going to do bigger is better I'm going to take the story and just continue it how it would continue 
I'm not gonna I'm not gonna overwhelm you like with oh why are these monsters here? What do they really want? Yeah. No, I love how he just has these monsters and they just like they just swipe their arms and legs just at people and just like just slam them into whatever's yep. near them. Nothing and it's you like do. you don't even know why they're killing. Nope. And I love that. I love that he's like yeah, I mean, they're just going to hunt you. Like, yeah, they're almost like primitive in nature. And exactly. And he's, I mean, he's just kind of like, yeah, deal with it. Yep. Like, I love that. And it's like, and I mean, the mov- both movies are like 90, 97 minutes, the first and second movie. And it's just kind of like, and it's just all tension. Yeah. And so I love that. I love that about it so much. So like Krasinski, he doesn't expand the universe very much. He expands his characters. Yeah. Which is like, point. that's that's what you should do with a sequel. You shouldn't try to just like over explain everything and like, make everything more than it needs to be. No. Like I said, the first movie was Krasinski and Blunt's movie. Mm-hmm. Like that was a the those were the driving characters of that movie. Whereas with this one, it's the main son and daughter in the movie. It's their movie. Yeah. Like with how the first one ended, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, like their dad dies. John Krasinski dies in the end of the first movie. Yeah. So now you've got a son and daughter and they're on with their own they're on their own with their mother who just gave birth like days ago. Yeah. And so the, now they, they're forced to step into leadership roles in the family. And it's like, it's not like they have a manual to do it. They have to like do it on the fly. Yeah. And they both have different approaches to doing it. And I think having that be like the driving force of the movie of like, like how do these kids learn to be like their own father? Yeah. And like be there for their family, be a leader for their family. And I, I thought that was like the best, the best way to handle this sequel. Yeah, and like the characters are constantly having are constantly being put into new situations, even sometimes without the presence of these aliens, but they're constantly having to come up with new ways to defend themselves. Yeah. Uh so with they have they have the whole sound thing, which was in the first movie it was implied that it was a big deal, but I wasn't really sure in how big of a deal, but in the second movie it's like everything. That yeah. That's like the ultimate goal is to develop a weapon using this sound right. that was created by uh, John Scusi's character right. and uh, to defeat these aliens. And uh, yeah, I, I was impressed with how he, so he definitely, he uses sound in the first movie, he uses sound excellently. Mm-hmm. And again, he uses it really well in the second, but I think what he does better in the second movie is the situations he puts the characters in because it's not just in one location anymore. They're kind of, they're, mm-hmm. that, they're yeah, it starts the off difference. in one location in a sense, but right. then you have a couple characters go off this direction, a couple characters stay, one character goes off and then, mm-hmm. okay, let's go back and forth these three different areas and see how they're dealing with their situation. And yeah. it, I think that made the, the pace of the movie much better. And it was almost like, okay, so they're in shit over here. And then, oh, let's not forget that, there's this character is still yeah. dealing with this over here. And mm-hmm. so you're just constantly like anxious and stressed about yeah. the state of being of these characters. Yeah. I think, uh, I think this movie utilizes the, like the cross cut really well. Yeah. Cause like you said, you know, characters go off in their own directions and I think it does a really good job of balancing time. And I, I especially feel this in the second half more than the first half. Yeah. Cause you know, as the tension ramps up, as you approach the climax of the movie, you know, you, as an audience member, you can feel the movie getting more intense. You can feel it building to something as characters go to various locations. And I think it I think it does a really good job of intercutting and, like, never letting a certain scene linger for too long or overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think it does a really good job of balancing the time between the characters, which really just lets, like, the themes of, you know, 
these characters becoming or these kids becoming leaders for the family in leadership roles. I think it really lets that like settle in by not overstaying its welcome in certain scenes, but like giving you just enough. And I think time. it was important that um, the uh, son and the daughter they weren't able to work together in the movie, mm-hmm. like physically. They weren't able to like because for most of the movie they're apart from each other, and mm-hmm. so they were each able to kind of grow like individual individually um obviously they both had inspiration from their parents and like there were things that like their dad kind of taught them and that plays a factor in how they grew in the movie but i thought it was important that they were they had to grow individually as opposed to having let's say the two older characters go off and they stay behind which was would be the logical thing to do in most people's views because they're younger and they're like not as equipped to survive, but I thought it was a good idea on John Skrzynski's part to have the have the children have to like they had to do stuff like they couldn't just sit there and like mm-hmm. wait for to get saved. They had to come up with ways to escape the situation that they're in and ways to kill the alien whenever they're in close combat. Yeah, I think because uh, yeah, if you keep the two kids in the same setting with each other the whole movie then they end up just facing adversity in the same way yeah which is which is like i mean it's still i'm sure it'll work because but yeah but i agree that like facing different challenges is was was very important for them for the for their characters Yeah, because they're two different characters Mm -hmm. they both have their own they both have their own view of their father they both have their own view of the situation and the fact that they were able to grow individually i think it made the movie stronger yeah i agree and I think that's a good segue into, um, I think uh, another one of my major pros for this movie, and it's just a, it's just a big compliment to Krasinski again, honestly, because I feel this about his directing in the first movie and this one, and I feel like I can, I try to, I was trying to think of other movies that I feel this way about, and I could really only think of this or these two movies, and it's like I feel like no other director, I mean maybe with the exception of like. I mean, even Spielberg feels like kind of a stretch, but like, I think John Krasinski does such a great job of keeping the audience on the edge of their seat while also like tugging at your heartstrings. Yeah. Like in that first movie, you know, the scene when John Krasinski sacrifices himself. Yeah. Like you're, you're like, you're clutching at your armrests, yeah, like watching that because you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Like, I definitely but was. then at the same time, like you're like about to shed a tear. Yeah. And in the climax of this movie, like I felt the same way. Like, mm-hmm. The way this movie ends, like it's it's it's. I em- felt the I, presence of his character. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like you can see him. You can see how his kids are embodying him. You can mm-hmm. see what he meant to them. But at the same time, like they're face to face with a monster. Yeah. And so it's like he has this. I I can't. It's so hard to like put your finger on it when you're watching it. But at the same time, like you feel such an emotional connection to these characters. But at the same time, like your palms are sweating and like you're you're just so locked on the scene and there's so much tension. But yet somehow it feels like the drama is the main focus of the scene, the like internal yeah. drama of the characters. And I, I, I feel like that's so rare in movies today. And I just feel like Krasinski is so good at capturing this extremely rare feeling. Yeah, and I think it's impressive too because to be completely honest, you don't know these characters that well. Because like their You're pre their, their life, life before yeah. this all happened, what he played baseball. Yeah. Like that's, we learned that in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like, like it's very you don't know stuff. these characters, but you feel like you do mm-hmm. because of Krasinski's way he's the way he tells the story it's really admirable 
and I think, uh, um, and I mean, getting into more positives about the movie, I think, uh, I mean, you can, I mean, obviously the movie looks really good. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think I feel this way about the first one too. I think they do a good, good job capturing just like a, not post-apocalyptic, just like mid-apocalyptic mm-hmm. like setting. But, um, I mean, like the technical stuff wasn't what stuck out to me in this movie. It was really, it was really the story. What's, I mean, just how they treated it as a sequel and like Krasinski's strengths as a director and telling stories and, um, um, just like off giving the audience characters that are interesting to watch. But mm-hmm. I will say I, I was just, I find the, I find the music of this movie to be, yeah, it was excellent. Top notch. Yeah. I think it's, I think the score of this movie, like the main score, it was used in the first movie too, but in this movie, they use it twice. They use it once in the very beginning, when uh, right when they leave the farm, and they use it in the very end at the climax. And yeah. it is like, it it just drives home all the emotion. Yeah, like I, I think agree. it's I think it's like one of the best scores I've heard in a horror thriller movie in a long time. Like it takes you, it washes over you. Like it feels like it's putting a weight on your shoulders every time it plays. And I think it's it works so well in these movies. I th- I love the way they use it in the ending too, because mm-hmm. like you said, the only two parts were at the farm and then the ending, and so it, it almost forces you to think of John Krasinski's character when 100%. it starts to play. Hundred percent, yeah, yeah. I I mean, it adds a ton to the emotion of the scenes when it plays, and I think it's I think it's excellent. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into. I mean, I I mean, this is shorter than my positives for the movie. Did you have any negatives for the movie? Uh, not really, to be honest. Like, I mean, I'm sure there were moments, like, maybe where I was like, oh, like, maybe could have done something else. But Okay, wait, I, let me ask you a question, then. Okay. This, I mean, we've done okay, I think, at limiting spoilers. We've yeah. hinted at some stuff, but we've never gotten into specifics. Yeah. I want to ask you a bit of a specifics. Okay. <coughs> Excuse me. So, here's your spoiler warning. <laughs> but, so there's the scene where, um... The, the daughter and Killian Murphy's character are on these docks. Yeah. They're trying to get a boat. And you see, like, this, like, almost like this, like, tribe. Yeah. Like, people. And, yeah, like, like red got, eyes. Yeah. yeah. Like, red eyes. Their skin is, like, decaying. Yeah. Like, this long, stringy hair. They almost look like zombies. But, yeah. Like, they're not. No, they're not. But they just look like they've just, like, been through hell and back. And, like, Killian Murphy's character says earlier in the movie, like, you know, the people out there are people that are not worth saving. Yeah. So, um... This this felt to me almost like a, like this, it felt like he, we're going to show you this now, but it's going to be a bigger part in A Quiet Place Part 3. Okay, I which, can see that. Which, like, so I guess my question to you is just, like, how did you feel about that scene and, like, the impla- and implementing that tribe, tribe or um, civilization? I think, I, think I agree with you. I They did just kind of, it kind of does feel like they just kind of threw it in for the sake of having an intense scene. Because they can't just oh get to the boat and safely get over this island. Um, so it I do think that it raises questions that aren't answered in the movie. Yeah, and um, I mean at the very least it showcases what um he was talking about when he says they're not worth people aren't worth saving. Yeah, and so I don't think it's completely unnecessary, but it feels less. It feels like one of the more unnecessary things out of the whole of the movie. I agree. Yeah, I. So when he said that earlier in the movie, like some people aren't worth saving. Yeah. I mean, throughout the movie, the foreshadowing is not so subtle. Let's yeah. be honest. Like when, uh, like another spoiler alert, like early in the beginning at the, at the uh, baseball scene, when like Killian Murphy's character learns like the sign language for the word dive, dive yeah. 
you're like, oh, geez, wonder if this is going to come into yeah. play later. And then so you, you mean, present it with some water. Right, um, yeah. Like, yeah. that's, yeah. So, like, I guess that's another negative for the movie. The foreshadowing is not so subtle, but it's minimal throughout the movie. Yeah. There's not a ton of it. It's really just, like, a, lo- a lot of this movie is about the moment yeah. that you're in and, um, like, how it affects each character. But, um, so, yeah, I, I knew we were going to get, we were going to get a glimpse of people that aren't worth saving. Yeah. But I feel like they really, they really got super specific yeah. By like you could have I feel like you could have just shown like maybe just like a another version of like the the Abbott family is I think their last name and like just have them just like scoundrels just like you put Killian Murphy's character at gunpoint and be like give me all the food you have right now or I will kill you. Yeah. But instead they decide to like they almost weren't re- human. <laughs> yeah, I know. They decide yeah. to really like heavily imply a lot about this weird tribe of people yeah and it, fe- it, it did it just felt out of left field it was to me. specific i agree because he talks about people not worth saving but it's like okay well if these people are like that how come our main characters also didn't right. fall under similar circumstances yeah i it, so then it, it just apply are all people like this weird zombie state yeah why yeah why do they look like that i yeah. get it I mean, I guess they're living on the boats, which is fair, which is yeah. plausible. But like, they didn't seem like they were trapped. They could have exactly. And then you find out that like, there's people safe on an island, and they weren't far from where. And so I'm like, why are you staying on the docks? Yeah, if, like you didn't even try to leave on a boat. Well, and Emily Blunt's character, or no, I don't know if it was Emily Blunt's character. Some character said it was only like a two night walk. Oh, it was a, it was a one day walk. Yeah, one yeah, day walk. You, they weren't far. The train tracks. Yeah, and not like they were secluded in some weird know. area. I uh, yeah so the implement so the w- the decision to implement that tribe of people I was like I don't know about this because it's I mean watching it it was like that's not what a quiet place is yeah because we're supposed to focus on the how these humans are like and these aliens are interacting right yeah it's it's almost a fa- seemed, like, it's a family drama yeah. in in a horror movie world it did feel a little out of place so uh, yeah I was just kind of like that felt like Krasinski diverting from what he what his strengths are which yeah is just like focusing on the characters and it felt like him trying to like grow the world a little bit and i hope i i mean i have a feeling that uh that uh that's gonna be like a big part in part three and i, I don't know i i I'm, I'm very skeptical about it for now yeah usually third in in stuff like this the third one's usually the weakest one so that's yeah that does especially as of late i would agree with that um, I don't think this movie screams for a third one either, though. Just uh, similar to the first one. I, I do agree that it is, I think, contained very yeah. well within itself. The story's contained to what's going on in the moment. But I do think with the way they ended it, there's a lot of room yeah. for a third one. Which, but, I mean, it's beneficial from like a financial standpoint to end a movie that feels okay on its own, but leave room because mm-hmm. there's could be opportunity for more money. Yeah. And I think that's how I felt with the first one, which it was like that felt very contained. And I still feel feel like this one felt contained, but when this one ended, like my first thought was like, "All right, when's part three? Like, yeah. Whereas when I, the first one ended, I was like, "Whoa, that was sick." Well, my the only way I could see a part three not happening is if they were simply implying that uh, they go on to perfect this technology of the sound and mm-hmm. they kill all the aliens. But yeah. then that's like, okay, well. They should just show that. I know, yeah, and there's, like, a ton of ambiguity because, like, in the first one, you were kind of like, oh, like, the high frequency is their weakness. Sick, yeah. got it. Like, yeah. apocalypse over, crisis averted. Yeah. But then it's like, no, this one picks up right where that first one ended, and it's 
getting it's getting Closer. to that next step. Yeah. And so now this one ends the way it does. And I hope the third one, when it does come out, because I feel like it definitely will. Yeah. I, f- I hope it picks up right where it is. So. Yeah, but, I hope um, so as well. My my main flaw with the movie, which yeah. uh, it's tough because I think it's very necessary. Cause we, it's something we already talked about. So we already mentioned the characters all go off in different directions, mm-hmm. which is very necessary because I think they both need to learn similar lessons in different ways, mm-hmm. but they both need to become, a, they both need to be in a leadership role within this family. But you know, it's, it's, they need to get there in different ways. Cause if they did it the same way, it wouldn't be as interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Now my main issue with this though, I think the first movie and the early parts of this movie do a great job of establishing how like close, closely knit this family is and mm-hmm. how, they live and die together. Everything they do is for one another. They like, they're they're in this together. Mm-hmm. So, when the movie decides to separate them, you know, um, the daughter tries to go find the island. Mm-hmm. Emily Blunt needs to go get supplies for herself, the baby, and the son's ankle. Mm-hmm. And now the son has to stay behind and watch the baby. Mm-hmm. So now they're all in three different locations, and you're kind of just watching like all right, I know they're all going to experience some sort of monster attack. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because it's been established that this family is so closely knit and that they live and die together, I think that, you know, it's really intense when they experience um, monster attacks on their own. But I feel like there's kind of a loss of stakes because you know that none of these three main characters will die on their own. Yeah. If they do die, it will be with, it'll be in, it'll they'll be with their family. When yeah, they in die. sight of. So yeah, up, yeah. Similar to how Don Krasinski's character dies in the first movie. Right. Yeah. So like yeah. he he wasn't just gonna die in that first movie, just out in the cornfield, yeah. just gets slaughtered. No, like he it needed to be in front of his children, and it's the same thing for these. Like these characters, like if the daughter dies, it needs to be in front of. Uh, the mom and the son, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So I feel like, um, especially because I saw it again last night, mm-hmm. and I just remember the first time I saw it, I was like, when they all decide to branch off on their separate ways, the movie kind of like lost me for a couple minutes. Like I could feel my mind going to other places, and I was like, okay, why is the movie not holding me now as much as it was in that Felt first like, safe. 20 minutes? Yeah. And yeah, I think be- partially because the first 20 minutes are just like, just so intense. Yeah. Like, it just it immediately throws you right in the thick of it, and you're in it. And so when the movie is forced to slow down and tell a story, and then it separates the family, I think I, I think there's a slight loss of stakes there, and I think that's why it loses me. But at the same time, I feel like it's very necessary for <coughs> the themes to be explored. Yeah. So it's like it's a give and a take, but I I think I think it kind of limits the rewatch value of this one a little bit as opposed to the first okay. one, because you know the first one was contained to the farm, you know. So it's like while the characters were in separate areas, they were never further than a hundred yards from each other. Yeah. And is this one, you know, like I said, is it was a day's walk for her to get to from where they were to a boat. So they're in, you know, like they're far away from each other. So yeah. I, I just think there's a slight loss of stakes there. And I think some people might may feel differently from me on that, but that's just how I felt when I watched the movie, especially for a second time. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I definitely think that there was no chance that any of these characters would perish away from one another. So when they do separate, it you definitely, it feels safer than it should. Agreed. Oh, yeah. 
All right, let's start to wrap this up. I, I think we kind of already answered this question, but I think it's important that we both answer this again. Would you consider A Quiet Place 2 a movie that needs to be seen on the big screen? So, yes and no. So I think it's not like a big like spectacle movie in the sense of like yeah. Avengers or like anything like that. I think the f- I think you need to see it in a theater for a different reason. I think well money one reason um but I think uh, cuz sound is a big thing in these two films and so I think seeing it in the theater and having the surround sound can kind of bring you into the movie a little bit more. Oh yeah. And it'll definitely enhance the experience, but I also think that going to see any movie in the theater enhances the, enhances the experience. I do too. So I'm a big advocate for seeing any movie in theater. Uh-huh. But I don't think this movie is necessary to get enjoyment to have to go to the theater, but to get the best possible out out of it, you have to see it in the theater. Yeah, I agree. I think to um, feel the atmosphere as much as you're intended to feel it and just the sound especially in mm-hmm. this movie because, like, I mean, seeing it in the theater, when the sound is implemented and when things get loud, you feel it getting loud. Like, yeah. you literally feel, it, like, your seat shaking. Yeah. And I, I think the way that you sound in this movie is great, and I definitely think this is a movie that should 100% be seen in theaters. Yeah, but like I said, I think most movies, mm-hmm. I mean, there are definitely, you can get away with seeing some, like, rom-coms. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for but sure. when it comes to sci-fi, horror, thriller, action, I I genuinely think most movies are way better experienced in the theater. 100% agree. All right, I have one final question. Okay. Just because I just thought of this while we were talking earlier in the show. Okay, it's a really random question. Okay. Okay, so, like, um, so if A Quiet Place Part 2 had, like, a subtitle, so, like, you know how, like, Marvel movies, like, it's not Captain America 2, it's Captain America the Winter Soldier. Okay, yeah. If A Quiet Place Part 2 had a subtitle, what do you think it would be? Oh, man. it's <laughs> a great question. I have so. an idea for one, just because it hit me while we were talking, and I All think right, it would be really it. funny. If they called it A Quiet Place Part 2 Beyond the Sand Path, I think that would have been <laughs> like, <laughs> unbelievably like hilarious and awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah. and then But then you'd obviously have to have someone in the movie say, like, like when we're going actually, beyond the same paths. <laughs> Killian Murphy been, for sure. hundred percent. Yeah. What oh, you guys his? are beyond the sand paths. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let's, we can't go yet. We're crossing the sand paths. We can, we haven't gone beyond the sand paths before. Make it a big oh moment. God, dude. That would have been funny. Now that makes me think like, what do you call the third one? Salvation. <laughs> Quiet place part three salvation like just, terminator yeah just one word that is like extremely vague and the yeah. just like what all part threes are salvation terminator yeah. salvation john wick three parabellum i'm like yeah. what you know i that's a good point yep they or should like alien it. covenant yeah um, yeah exactly that'd be i, I kind of want them to give them give them i'm not surprised the you didn't so i don't i don't i think the feeling going into the movie, if it were called A Quiet Place 2, yeah, Beyond the Sand Fats, would be much different. <laughs> Couldn't agree more, but it is it is funny to think about. I agree. Uh, all right, Cam, thank you for joining me on this uh, very special episode of the True Critic Podcast. It's been it's been fun. Always. And always I can, cannot wait to do another one. So thank you, Cam Zierick, for joining me, and uh, we'll catch you next time on the True Critic Podcast.